Romans chapter 12. Hallelujah. And we are going to conclude our series this morning that we've been on for some time, talking about restoring our value, our self-worth, and our dignity. And um, I I think we could probably study this forever. Um, It's so important to know your your sense of value and your sense of self-worth in the eyes of God. Uh, You know, we live in a world that really tries to beat down our sense of value and self-worth. And a part of God's salvation is restoring that into your life. And so that you know your value, so that you know your sense of self-worth, so that you know your dignity. And Because how many know when you know your value and your self-worth, it changes everything in your life. It changes the way you talk. It changes the way you walk. Um, it changes everything. And unfortunately, man-made religion has been a part of tearing down the worth of the believer. A lot of people <clears throat> have went to church and you know, made, been made to feel like they were worms or made to feel like they were nothing but dirty, rotten, no good sinners and feel bad about themselves. And that's really not the heart of God. The heart of God is to bring worth and to bring value. Because when you, I mean, you can't give what you haven't first received. And it's difficult for you to give love to other people if you have not received love yourself. It's difficult to respect other people if you have not developed a sense of respect for yourself. And so God is always looking to restore something to you so that you know how to function it, you know how to operate in it. Because everybody in this room, you've had your self-worth attacked. You've had your dignity attacked. You had your value attacked. And it may have come from your mistakes. um, And it may have come from well-meaning religious people as well. Um, But at the end of the day, you must understand that God loves you, He values you, and He actually delights in you. And we took a look at that last week. And um, when you start to really believe that, it basically changes everything in your life. In Romans chapter 12, you know, it makes a really important point that because, um, you know, I mean, you know, we all want to bring some element of change into our life. You know, a part of being a believer, a part of being a disciple is there's this element of growth. You know, we want to grow. We want to walk in love. We want to have peace. We want to have joy. We want to have confidence. We want to have all of these things. And so, you know, when you get born again, basically the work in you is finished. Uh, you're, you're born again. You're a child of God. You're the righteousness of God. Um, I say this all the time, but I, it's so important to say because it's so contrary to the culture and the body of Christ. But there's nobody in this room that's any better than anybody else. Amen. If you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, then you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you have not, then you just, just receive. Amen. Uh, but it's not about a sense of worth or anybody being better than anybody else. The reality is, is without Jesus, you're basically spiritually dead. With Jesus, you, you, you become alive. And so when I received, the work was finished, but then there's this process of being a disciple, which is what we're called to do, which basically means that we're a student, and we, we want our lives to be different. You know, I was just at a gas station in Versailles and saw one of our old buddies, uh, Nathan Freeman. You remember him, yeah? And, uh, and, you know, and I've had a chance to run into him a few times, and, and he could just look at me and tell I'm a different person. And uh, so I had a chance to share my testimony again, just right there in the gas station. So I get to, to bless everybody in there. But, but my, my changed life is a witness of the life that's on the inside of me. And so, um, and he can just look at me and, and know that I'm not the same person I used to be. And so there's an element of growth. And how many know that when we grow, we make our own lives better? When, when, I, when I make a decision to not make dumb decisions, my life is going to be better as well. So <clears throat> growth, isn't, growth does not cause you to have more value in the eyes of God. It's really important to understand. Like, I got three kids. Two of them are potty trained, right? One of them is not. And one of them uh, poops in a diaper, and the other two poop in the toilet. And just because... I want to be clear. I want to be clear. Just because the one that does not poop in the toilet does not have less value or worth than the ones that do. But the other ones have just grown a little bit more. You follow me? So my love for my children is not based upon their growth and their development. Right? 
God's love for you is not based upon your growth and your development. Because how many you know, as a person, sometimes you poop in the toilet and sometimes you don't. Amen? Everybody know what I'm saying? I don't mean that in a literal sense, although I kind of do as well. But, I mean, how many you know, sometimes you make mistakes and it's not cool. But how many you know, it, it doesn't change the way God feels about you. And it also doesn't change your sense of worth. And I'll tell you something further, it also shouldn't change the way you feel about yourself. And the more you can start to see yourself through the eyes of God, because one of the challenges with growth is as you grow and you're changing, I mean, sometimes you can slip up and get hard on yourself. And then all of a sudden you make a mistake in the midst of your growth, and you can start to feel bad about yourself thinking that God feels bad towards you. But how many of you know God doesn't feel bad towards you? God still loves you just like I love my little daughter. But He just saw that you made a mistake and, and you failed. You know, we, we went to a Christmas program um, in Lexington last night, and Lily probably fell like five times. Like, she's just, just running, you know, and just and went down, you know. And I, once again, different analogy, her falling does not change the way I feel about her. I mean, you know, you falling does not change the way God feels about you. <clears throat> you falling does not change the way God feels about you. You falling does not diminish your worth, and it does not change who you are. You are still a child of God. In fact, when you fall in, Father God's ready to come and pick you up and come near you and to help you. Can't get an amen. amen. But how many old falls hurt? And they don't they hurt us, but they don't how many know they don't just hurt us? How many know they hurt people around us too? How many know when you do dumb stuff, it just, it doesn't just have impact on you, it has impact on people around you as well. So we don't want to fall. We want to grow. We want to develop. But when we do, it doesn't change who we are. Everybody understand what I'm saying here? And so what I want to do is I want to take the pressure off of you. And you may have moments in your life when you're disappointed in yourself. But what you have to understand is that your flesh is crazy. The carnal mind is crazy. Like the, the, the real part of who you are wants to do everything right. But then there's a part of you that wants to do everything wrong. But it's not actually who you are, it's just something that's still attached to you. See, eventually, your body and every other aspect of you is going to receive a full redemption. And when you get your new body and when you get the fullness of redemption, you will never be tempted to sin again. You will see it for what it is. It will be disgusting to you. And you won't want it. You'll be walking in perfect love. But right now, there's, there's a battle. And so we want to grow. We want to develop. We want to change. But this is such an important point. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now that word transformed is the word in the Greek metamorphosis. And, and so the transformation that happens to you, you're not changing to become somebody else. You're changing to reveal who you are. How many of you know, how many you know a, 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 a frog is a, a, it starts out as a tadpole, but then it goes through a metamorphosis to become its adult self, but the whole time it's a frog? How many of you know a, a butterfly starts out as a caterpillar, but, and it goes through a metamorphosis to reveal what's on the inside of it? So what you have to understand is any level of change that God brings into your life is not God trying to change you to make you worthy. It's not God trying to change you to make you into somebody else. It's God revealing who you now are in Christ. And eventually, all the change is going to be finished in the twinkling of an eye when the Lord returns, or when we meet Him, and all of the elements of us working together with Him, renewing our mind, will be finished, and we'll be walking, talking, living, moving like Jesus Christ. But right now, there is an element of your relationship where you have relationship with truth, which is the Scriptures, and that truth renews your mind, changes the way you think, as Grant's been ministering on, changes your heart, and we start to see what you look like in Christ. I'm going to tell you, what you look like in Christ is beautiful, what you look like in Christ is strong, what you look like in Christ is awesome. And so this journey that we're on as we're learning and we're having relationship with each other and with God and with truth it is a revealing of who you already are in Christ. If you're born again. Now, if you're not born again, 
you got to receive Jesus to get that incorruptible seed of the Word of God in you so we can start that process. Everybody tracking me here? But the metamorphic, you're, you're not trying to change to become something else. That's really important. Because if you try really hard to change to become something you're not, you stay miserable because you don't believe what you are. Does everybody understand that? Um, amen. And so... 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're just going to do a little bit of review here, get us all on the same, on the same page. Is it hot in here? Yeah. Dear God, turn the AC on. Help me out. I knew I couldn't preach in a onesie because I knew I'd be too hot, so I wore a t-shirt, but I'm still hot, so all I need is one amen. Grant said yes, and so it's, it's all good, man. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, it says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That word transform is once again that word for metamorphosis. So a big part of the way you change is you see Jesus. You see Jesus revealed in the scriptures. I mean, I didn't come here today to try to present to you you or present to you me. We came here today to talk about Jesus. And as you see Him in the good news of what He's done for you, there is a change that happens in your life because now, I mean, now your identity is now in Jesus Christ. You know, just like when I saw that old friend at, at, at the gas station, the person I used to be is dead. I am now a different person. And I'm in a process of change. I've been in this thing for about 23 years. I'm changing. Uh, but there's still areas of change that I need. Can I get an amen for my wife one time? Amen. <laughs> She said, amen, amen. And, and, and they, things that she needs to, you know, development in her life. How I many you know we'll be developing until Jesus comes back? So what's important is in the process of your development, don't allow the enemy to sting you with condemnation or attack against who you are when you make a mistake or when you fail or when you have a bad thought. Everybody tracking me here? You've got to keep the condemnation out. You have worth no matter what. But a big part of your change is you beholding Jesus. Everybody say relationship. God's not trying to get you to jump through hoops. God's not trying to get you to be perfect. God's just trying to get you to know Him. And then out of knowing Him, there will be change that happens in your life. And one of the things I found out about Jesus, like, He is the best being, He's the best person I've ever met. Like, He is cooler than anybody I've ever known. He's awesome. Like, He's amazing. Like, He's, he's, uh, he's the hero of the story. And, and the more you come to know Him and who He is and how much He loves you and the value that He sees in you, the more you actually want to live a life that glorifies His name because you find out how much He loves you. Anybody ever had a relationship with someone who believed a lot of good things about you? And how many know it makes you want to be a better person? Because He sees value in you when you don't see value in yourself. That's what love does. Love sees value. Love sees worth. And God values you and He sees worth in you. And then we took a look at Isaiah 61 and uh, talking about healing the brokenhearted. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, the opening of prison to those who are bound. And once again, when you're born again, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Sins and lawless deeds He will remember no more. You're a child of God. But how many know many of us have had a broken heart? And one of the primary things that will break your heart is when someone attacks your self-worth and your identity and your dignity. And when you walk around having a bad self-image about yourself, it can, make it, it can make it difficult for God to bring the things into your life that He wants to bring into your life. Because how many know, if you don't feel like you're worthy of something, then you won't, you won't, you won't take it. You know, just like as everybody walked in today, I was like, go get some pancakes, go get some sausage, go get some food, you know. And why? Because it's supplied for everybody, right? And there was not a sense of rejection or some people are allowed or some people are not allowed. How many of you know the price was paid on it already? And so when it comes to the Lord, He wants you to feel worthy to receive all that He has for you. Because He has great things for all of us, but if we won't sit at the table and allow Him 
to minister to us and to feed us and to help us because a lot of times that broken heart is a bad sense of self-image. And so a part of healing the broken heart is healing that sense of self-image. Because here's the thing, you don't get to determine your worth. You're not allowed to determine your worth. God gets to determine your worth. And He revealed your worth when Jesus died for you. And so now that you, God, God sees your work, now a big part of us renewing our minds and healing our hearts is us seeing ourselves the way God sees us. Amen. Because you're, you're not just invited to the table. You're not, you're not I mean, you're, you, you are invited to, to sit in His lap, to be loved by Him. No one has more of a right to God than you do. You have a right to God. Well, I don't wear certain clothes or wear my hair's like this or where I made mistakes or where this, all that. Man, all that stuff don't mean nothing to God, folks. He, what He has cleansed, we are not allowed to call dirty. And the Lord has cleansed us, right? And so He wants to get that on a heart level to where you walk around expecting good. He wants you to expect good things to happen to you. And when good things come, you're like, that's the Lord. That's the Lord's favor. That's the Lord. That's the Lord. That parking place, that's the Lord. That unexpected blessing, that's the Lord. Not, but when you have a sense of condemnation in your heart, when something bad happens, and you think, oh, that's the Lord. That's the Lord. That's the Lord's judgment. Oh, that flat tire, that's because it got mad last week. All that. See, everyone here has experienced that before, but I'm here to tell you, that's not true. God is not against you. God is for you. You don't have... Anyone in your life that's more for you than God is. Nobody. You are not as for you as God is. And so one of the things of healing of, of the broken heart is when you actually start to expect good. And you're actually supposed to expect good even when you don't deserve it. And that's actually when your mind starts to get renewed. Because God wants to bless you with things that you did not earn and you did not deserve. Because He loves you. You know, the, the, the presence that we're going to have under our tree this year for our kids is not because they were uh, nice and not naughty. The presence under our tree is because we love them. And we're not blessing one more than another based upon action. If we, were, if we were blessing them based upon action, then the boys would get a lot and Lily wouldn't get that much. <laughs> I mean, if we're honest, I mean, if, I mean, she's two years old. If we're honest, I mean, like, because, I mean, Ethan is like, you know, and, and Eli too, but, I mean, yeah, shoot, Lily was biting her brother yesterday. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, I was like, Eli, why is your shirt so wet? He's like, yeah, Lily was biting me. I was like, so he's like, my shirt's wet too. <laughs> <laughs> probably today, right? It's cool. She'll grow out of it. She'll grow out of it. But, but like, she doesn't get less presence because she's not less loved. See, the presents under the tree are an expression of our love for our kids, not an expression of their, of their worthiness. Everything that comes from God in your life, will you believe that He loves you? Will you allow Him to pour out His blessing upon you? Y'all tracking me here? Because you got to realize Jesus is the one that earned it for you. You get what Jesus deserves, and Jesus got what we deserved. He took all the sin, all the shame, all the stripes, the nails, separation from all those things He took for us so that He could bring us within Himself, and now we are the favored child of God. It's, it's the most unfair thing in the world that the one that knew no sin would pay for everybody's sin. Everybody tracking me here? But this is how good your God is. Amen? And so, but there's a healing of our hearts that needs to happen so that we can actually receive these things. Because God wants us to understand that. Now, Hebrews chapter 2, and we, one other place, and we'll step into, we're kind of in a, in a position of review here. But it says, um, no, skip Hebrews 2. Go to Philemon, please. Because we had looked at where God had crowned us with glory and honor, and you know, glory being God's good opinion of us, honor being our sense of worth and our value. But one of the, I want to just continue down this road for just a second. Philemon 1.6, it says, 
the communication of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. And it's you have to recognize that God has made you good in order for you to effectively convey your faith. As long as you think you're bad and dirty and undeserving, it's going to be difficult for you to express trust in God. It's going to be difficult for God wants you to discern that He has made you good. Because see, you've lost the right to identify as someone who's outside of Jesus Christ. When you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, how many of you know the person you used to be died? You have a new identity. So I ask you the question, is Jesus good? Is Jesus righteous? Is Jesus holy? Where are you? You're in Jesus. And so a part of what God needs us to do is we need to acknowledge every good thing which is in us in Christ Jesus. I mean, you know, many of us, we spend our whole lives cussing ourselves out internally. Being negative towards ourselves internally. And God's like, I need you to stop talking about my son like that. Because how many know when you're talking trash about you, you're now talking trash about Jesus because you're in Him. And God needs you to identify with Him so that you can acknowledge the good that's within you. Because here's the thing, folks. When you start to believe that God has made you good, and you start to believe what God believes about you, your heart heals, and you actually start to walk out that reality. The way I got set free from drugs is I realized I wasn't a drug addict anymore. I realized I was a child of God. And as I began to embrace my new identity, I stopped wanting to do that, that stuff anymore. So us embracing and acknowledging every good thing within us, not only is it going to help us, it's also going to set us free. Everybody tracking me here? And I know a, a lot of times man-made religion spends a lot of time like beating people down and making people feel bad about themselves, but it's contrary to the kingdom. Because if, if you feel dirty and you feel like you're nothing but a dirty, rotten sinner and you feel like you're no good and you feel like God's mad at you, everything that you do towards God will not be out of a place of relationship. It will be out of a place of you trying to earn worth and value. So you'll always be performing for Him. You'll never be a son or daughter. And God is inviting you into a relationship where we acknowledge that the cross is a success and we do things in service to God because we're thankful. Because we're grateful, not because we're trying to earn something. Everybody tracking me here? And so, um, and then Hebrews 5.12, it says, for, for by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So when we're talking about this sense of self-worth and we're talking about this identity, we're, in, in, we're just changing the language a little bit. We're actually talking about righteousness. In the New Testament, you've been made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. Nobody earned it. Nobody deserved it. Nobody's any better than anybody else. You call upon the name of Jesus and you are made right with God. Now, as you get skilled in understanding that, you'll grow up and mature. But as long as you think you're one mistake away from God casting you out and rejecting you and punishing you, you're not growing up. You're staying in a state of where you're actually, your faith remains weak because the enemy can come in and accuse you and condemn you and get your own heart accusing you. And when you think that God is mad at you, it's going to be very difficult for you to take authority over the enemy and take a stand for what God has made yours. So a big part of growing up is becoming skilled in the righteousness which is of faith because when you know that you're right with God by faith, number one, the enemy can't talk you out of it. And then number two, you, stop, you look at people different. Like nobody in this room is any better than anybody else. Like, you know, if, it, like, if Marietta read her Bible more this week than me and, and she prayed more this week than me, it does not make her more right with God than I am. You must understand that. Because it's not a performance. It's, an, it's a, you know, just like all three of my kids, they're my kids. I mean, they're not my kids based on performance. So when you start to understand this righteousness, it'll stop you from comparing yourself with other people. It'll stop you from competing against other people. It'll also, also stop you from judging everybody. 
and looking down on everybody else because you don't have a right to. Amen. Because the same Jesus died for them that died for you. And there's a, there's a sense of when you start to get skilled in righteousness, you can actually hang out with people and just be yourself and you don't have to compare yourself with them. And you can just be comfortable in your own skin because you're a child of God who's invited to the Father's table. Can I get an amen? Like you're, you're just invited because Jesus is the one that did the work. Jesus did the work. He did all the work. We enter into His rest because He did all the work. If you're born again today, you have a right to everything that God has provided. God loves you, God's smiling at you, and God is for you. If you are not born again, God loves you, God is smiling at you, and God is for you, but He needs to get His Son in you so you can have eternal life. Because without eternal life, you just, you just die. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that's, you, don't want, you don't want that. You want to live forever. And the last part of this says, but solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is, by those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. A part of growing up and maturing and getting skilled in righteousness is the ability to discern between good and evil. I want you to point your finger at yourself. And I want you to discern, perceive, and see that you are good. Say, I am good. Because God has made me good. And so God wants you to have His opinion about you. And a big part of growing up is understanding that. Now, when I first got saved, I didn't understand this. Now, when I first got saved, I just didn't care. Because I didn't know all the stuff I was supposed to be doing. And so, because I was totally unchurched. And so I had this very raw and real relationship with God. And I was raw. I was rough around the edges. Um, I just didn't know anything. But then slowly as I got churched, I started feeling bad about myself because I started realizing, man, I just am not as cool as these people. You know, I'm not as spiritual as these people. And I started, you know, really disqualifying myself. And I began in a place of really just keeping my eyes on Jesus and recognizing that He saved me and being thankful. And then slowly I started to look at myself. And I started thinking about all the reasons why I wasn't good enough and why I didn't qualify. And you know what it did? It messed my relationship with God up for a while. Because then I started trying to perform for Him and earn things from Him. And as a result of that, my relationship with Him was very strained. If you're in a relationship with somebody and you're never good enough and you don't feel like you measure up, how many of you can't enjoy that relationship? And God wants you to know. He wants you to discern that you have been made good. But then a part of that discerning is recognizing that when temptation comes or when the enemy comes knocking, you have to recognize that's not who you are. How many of y'all being born again doesn't mean you don't make any mistakes? How many of y'all being born again doesn't mean the temptation will never come? Everybody in this room, you have probably a couple of areas of temptation. Where, you can, where, where areas where the enemy has found a way to push your button and cause you to fall short. And it may be different for everybody in this room. Like my wife and I, we have totally different personalities. The things that, the things that she is tempted to do... That's wrong is nothing because she's an angel and she has a halo. <laughs> by, by comparison, everybody needed Jesus except, no, I'm just kidding. That's not, not true. She's not perfect by any stretch of the means, but she, her struggles are different than mine, right? But at the same time, everyone in here, you have an, an area where the enemy's trying to get a, a door open in your life. And this is what you have to understand, and this is really important. That's not you. You've got to stop identifying with that failure and that temptation. Because as long as you identify with it, you, now, it may come up in your thoughts, it may come up in your feelings, it may seem like it's you, but I'm here to tell you right now, it's not who you are. Everybody say maturity. That's what's called maturing. When you can separate you from the temptation that comes knocking. Because what you have to understand, when that temptation comes knocking, it's you and God together against the temptation. See, and what the enemy will try to do, if you, if you haven't matured in this, you'll think, God's mad at me, I messed up, and so now God's against me and I'm just over here. And that's a mentality. That's okay to have that mentality, but you've got to grow out of that. Because 
what you have to realize is that God is always on your team. He's always on your side. He's always in your corner. So when you mess up, God's the one that knows that's not you better than you do. And so His word to you is, I know you failed. I know you got mad. I know you said this. I know you did that. But that's not who you are. This is who you are. Look at my son. Look at Jesus. Let Be transformed in the same image from glory to glory. This is now who you are. That's maturity being able to discern between good and evil. When evil comes knocking, it's not who you are. When evil comes through your life, it's not who you are. It's not you. Now, you take responsibility for your actions. You don't exempt yourself from your, from your actions. You apologize who you need to apologize to. You recognize what you did was wrong. You recognize that the enemy found a way in. And you, you repent and you turn your back on it. But you never identify with it. You discern, no, I'm good. I mean, that's what Paul was doing in Romans chapter 7. Paul, great, mighty man of God. He said, man, he said, I want to do the right thing. But I do the wrong thing. But I recognize that when I do the wrong thing, it's not me that's doing it. It's my flesh. It's the carnal mind. This does not exempt you from responsibility for your actions. If you give place to the enemy and he jacks things up, you apologize to you need to apologize to. You've not, you're not been made righteous so that you can use your, your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness. Very important to understand that. But at the same time, if you want to come out of that, you're going to have to discern that you are good. And that you are still good even though you made a mistake. Come on now. Why? Because the cross is a success. Can I get an amen here? This is maturity. This is maturity. Discerning between good and evil. And then, um, and saw, and then last week we were together, Psalm 18. Uh, we took a look at the, the, the power of delight. Psalm 18 verse 19. David speaking, he said, The Lord delivered me because He delighted in me. And one of the things you have to understand, God doesn't just, like, God doesn't just love you. God doesn't just like you. God delights in you. You must change. I was ministering to somebody the other day. I can't remember where. But you've got to change this false picture of God that's been painted on your mind by man-made religion. God is not this angry old dude in heaven with a bat. That's a, that is an incorrect picture. You've got to rub the slate clean, and recognize God, when God... Yeah, yeah, you have a friend that's happy to see you. Don't it feel good to be happy to be seen? That's how God sees you. When God sees you, He delights in you. There's a power in that. If you can get a hold of the fact that God delights in you, Sin will lose its control over your life. Condemnation will lose its control over your life. If you can see the fact that the Lord delights in you. And we saw different people in the Bible that understood that the Lord loved them, liked them, and delighted them. How many of you know David understood this? And I mean, it wasn't based upon David's perfect obedience. David made tons of mistakes. But when you understand that the Lord delights in you, you become a dragon slayer. You become a giant killer. You become strong in the kingdom when you understand the Lord delights in you. And this is something that we have to change about the way that we see God. God delights in you. God loves you. Now, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. So, and like I said, we're closing our, we're closing, um, our series on this. I mean, we'll continue to talk about this until Jesus comes back, but we're going to finish this series today. And, um, but one of the things that this world tries to do is it will set your value and your worth based upon money. If you got money, you're worth something. And if you don't got money, you're not worth something. And the way that this world has set up value and worth is twisted. Because in God's eyes, all the paper money in America is not worth one human being. In God's eyes, all the silver, all the gold is not worth one human being. But how many know in this world, money has tried to exalt itself, money has tried to be Lord, where most people, not many people, if not most people, get their sense of value and worth by how much money they have. 
And if they get around someone who has more money than them, all of a sudden they don't feel like they're as good as that person. And I'm here to tell you right now, that's a wrong mindset. And God wants to change that on the inside of you. God, doesn't, God, God wants you to be free from that. Because as long as you think that your worth is based upon how much money you have, listen to me, you don't really know your value. How many know when you get to heaven, you walk on money? You walk on gold. I, I, there's no coincidence that God made the streets gold. Because He wants you to say, my kids are worth more than money. So when you come to my house, you walk on gold. <coughs> but down here, we have to renew our minds out of the fact that our worth is based upon how much money we have. It's extremely important. And, and he talks about it in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 22, it says, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So now he's talking about perception here for a moment. He's like, when your perception is clear, and you see clearly, your body's full of light. And when your perception is off, you don't see clearly. How many of you know we've been talking about self-image? And the way you see the world around you, you funnel it through the way you see yourself. And if you think somebody's better than you, and you think they're worth more than you, how many of you know that's the way you're going to live and carry yourself when in reality there's not another human being that's worth more than you? How I many you know if Jeff, how do you say his name? Bezos? Bezos. How I many you know if he walks in here and, you know, and we know he's one of the richest people in the world, how I many you know we shouldn't be intimidated in his presence? We shouldn't feel less than. Because how I many you know we are children of God? I mean, you know, that man's money was not, not going to last forever. I mean, you know, nobody takes money with them when they die. Money don't stick around. I mean, you just don't. Like, you may be wealthy, but if you don't have Jesus Christ, you ain't wealthy. Because there's no greater blessing than eternal life. Like, you, you, may, be, you may be rich in this world, but if you never receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, then, like, your money can't buy you salvation. And it can't buy itself. So if he walks in here, or someone else walks, I mean, you know, we live in a culture that worships people like that. We live in a culture where it looks, oh, the rich and the famous, and oh, there's this, oh, and I'm just, oh, and see, folks, when we think like that, we have to realize we're not seeing clearly. God does not want any human being to have the ability to intimidate you or make you feel less about yourself. Because, man, if you, if the creator of the universe has joined himself to you, then what does somebody's money or car or house mean? Anything at all, does it? And God wants us to change the way we see things. He wants you to change the way you see yourself. And then the very next passage, he says, No one can serve two masters. Freely he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. I, 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 I say to you, I don't believe these two concepts are different. I believe that when someone is serving money as God and letting money set, their, set value for who they are and everything else in the world, their eye is not seeing clearly. You all can remember when I was a kid, I was raised by my uh, mom, and uh, single mom, and uh, we, we were broke, and we were on welfare. <clears throat> and my grandfather would come to town like once a year and he would give me a hundred bucks and take me out to eat. And, I could, and my grandfather was very wealthy. He's passed now, but he was a millionaire. And I can remember when we, I can remember one time we went out to eat at this Chinese restaurant. You know, we didn't have money to eat out, you know. And I had holes in my jeans, and, you know, I basically get one pair of shoes a year, and I would use that money to buy those shoes. And uh, I can just remember sitting there with my grandfather just feeling like scum. Just feeling just dirty and unworthy and just not as good as him and his wife, you know? And, and, and it, was, it was a misunderstanding of value that made me feel that way. And here's the thing. If you don't break that off of your life, 
this misunderstanding of value, it doesn't matter how much money you have, you still will feel like you're not as good as other people. I mean, you can, you can, you know, you can have, you can, you can do, you can get money and get a college education, you can do this, you can do that, but if in here you still think your value is based upon money, then you're never going to rise up to the place that God really wants you to have. Everybody tracking me here? So like this is a point of mind renewal. Because in the rest of this chapter, it starts talking about supply. It starts talking about clothes and food. And then it starts talking about value. See, this passage, I believe, is a breaking away of us allowing money to tell us how much we're worth. Everybody tracking me here? Money has no right to tell you how much you're worth. Money is not your God. Now, look, I know we all need money. I know we got to function with money. <clears throat> but money is not God. And if you can make God God, then money will serve you. And money will be a tool. Money's a tool, man. You can use money and help people and love people, and, and it, doesn't, it doesn't have you. Because there are people who have tons and tons of money, and they're very wealthy, but they, their whole identity is in that money. And you know, they're some of the stingiest, most miserable people on this planet because it's all about money for them. So they can't use money. How many of money uses them? How many of greed will absolutely take somebody's life from them? Some of the most miserable people on this planet are people that have tons of money. They're also some of the hardest people to reach with Jesus Christ because they think they have everything and they don't need anything. And that's why Jesus said, man, you think you're rich, but you ain't. He said, I got the true riches. But renewing our minds to this is key. And so it says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. Now he starts revealing value here. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? See, this whole chapter is about, it's about money and it's about things, but it's a, it's a restoring of value. He's like, look, I take care of the birds. They do dumb stuff. You know what I'm saying? They don't sow. <clears throat> they don't reap. They don't gather. Bird have a couple bad days. His game's over. <clears throat> right? And God's like, I take care of them. So don't you have more value than some birds? And the reason that we get caught up worrying about money, about clothes, about food, about tomorrow, is we've lost sight of our value. And God wants to bring back to you your sense of value. Because when you know your value, when you know your worth, when you know that you're the righteousness of God, money serves you. You don't serve money. So when we're, when, when, we're, when we're in here and we're preaching the gospel to you, when you understand that you're the righteousness of God and you understand your value, it will have an impact on your finances. It will definitely have an impact on your finances. Why? Because when you... How I many you know when the righteousness of God hits the planet, wealth follows it? Wait till tomorrow. How I many know a Christmas story? How I many know as soon as Jesus was born, gold was hunting him down? Frankincense was hunting him down. Myrrh was hunting him down. Valuable things were hunting him down. Why? Because the righteousness of God had hit the earth. <clears throat> and something more valuable than money had come. And money came running to it to bow down to it, bow down to him, bow down to his righteousness. It's the truth, man. And how many know that the, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the finished work of the cross, how many know wherever the Ark was and it was handled properly was tremendous financial blessing? Look it up. Study it out. Because when they were trying to bring the Ark back and they didn't do it properly and it ended up at uh, Uzzah's house. Is it Uzzah? Uzziah? Obed, thank you. One of them guys, man. Praise God. Obed. It was in Obed's house. Check it out. Three months. 
the ark, the righteousness of God was in this man's house for three months. He was so blessed that the entire kingdom took notice. And David's like, we got to get that thing in the palace. <laughs> He's like, God bless you, Obed, but like, we need that in my house. <laughs> but what he meant was over the whole nation of Israel. Because I'm telling you, where the righteousness of God is, money becomes subservient. How I many know this? There's been a financial challenge in the land here lately. If you haven't noticed, right? Price of eggs, price of gas, all these types of things. We as a church have done better this past year financially than we ever have. We ever have. And, 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 and obviously, we clearly don't pressure anybody to give. Yeah, yeah. And, and why? Because we're preaching the righteousness which is of faith. And we're preaching the gospel. And we're pointing people to Jesus Christ. And so... The, the righteousness of God does not need the world to line up in order for it to be blessed. Because the righteousness of God is a different kingdom. See, I'm telling you folks, times of famine are greatest times for the children of God. Every time you see famine in the Scriptures, God's people come out on top. How do you think God's going to do a, 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 a transfer of wealth? How, it's going to happen in a time of shaking. And I'm telling you, the wrong people have had the money. There's not an absence of money in the earth. They did a study. If every man, woman, and child, they split up all the money equal in the earth. Everybody have $10 million. God didn't mess up when He made this thing and, 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 and have too little. No, the wrong people have the money. But right now, those people are being spoiled. It's the truth. And God wants to bring finances into your life but listen to me, he can't do that if you don't know that your value apart from finances. Because if you think money is what gives you value, then money will come to you and then own you and rule you and you'll stop serving God and you'll start to serve money. And God don't want to lose you to money. I mean, it takes some responsibility to have money. It does, man. If you dropped a million dollars on me after I first got saved, I'd probably be dead. Because um, uh, money will kill a fool. I didn't need a ton of money because I couldn't handle it. But now, as I've matured, um, I want to give. I want to help people. I want to be a blessing. And I want to do more than what I'm doing. I mean, just like us taking all these gifts down here to the shelter, we're going to bless these kids' socks off. I mean, you know, what an honor it is to be able to be the blessing of the Lord in somebody else's life. Can I get an amen? I mean, it feels good to help people. And God wants to bring it on a larger scale. He does. And I, and I believe that's a big part of the transition that we're stepping into. But you need to know your worth before it comes. Because if you don't know your worth before it comes, then it'll end up having you. Because the root of all evil is the love of money. And if you, listen to me, if you think money is what gives you value, you'll love it. And if you love it, it'll jack you up. You've got to know that you have value apart from money. Everybody tracking me here? And so he's talking about the kingdom. He said, don't worry about your life. Don't worry what you're going to eat. Don't worry what you're going to drink. Don't worry. Listen, if you're listening to stuff that's making you worried, stop listening to it. If you're listening to news and stuff that's making you worried, or even prophecy that's making you worried, stop listening to it. Because the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. And if something don't deposit peace in your heart, it's the wrong voice. There you go. <clears throat> I just think about some of the prophecies just a couple years ago. They were freaking everybody out. Everybody's listening to these prophecies. 76,000 views. Everybody's freaking out. <clears throat> this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. I'm like, it never happened. Where are those dudes at? There's no accountability. There's a new video of how this is going to happen. And I'm not saying not, not be aware of what's going on, but like, don't be scared. <clears throat> Do not worry about your life. No, make... Make the kingdom your first priority, Jesus Christ. And in the kingdom, there's going to be more than enough. I mean, y'all know I've preached for years that we can 
that we don't have to be dependent upon what's happening in the world for us to prosper. I've preached that for years, I've preached that. Because you, if you meditate upon the Word day and night, how I many of you are like a tree that's planted by the rivers of living water, and you're going to bring forth your fruit in your season. <clears throat> and you're not going to be afraid when heat comes. Because your supply is not based on this world. God wants to take care of you. But listen to me. He wants to take care of you. This is important. So He can take care of other people through you. And if money don't have you, God can trust you with it. Because He wants to... He needs... People need help. And He wants to help people through you. But a big part of this, are you not of more value? Understanding your value. Understanding your self-worth. You know, I'm at a place in my life where wealth does not intimidate me anymore. I do not care... If there's somebody walk in this church and was a millionaire, I would not treat them any different than anybody else in this room. Because they do not have more value in the eyes of God than anybody else in this room. I'm not going to be a respecter of persons. I'm not going to be, like, I just don't care about stuff like that anymore. Everybody understand? Like, we are children of God. We have a value that's beyond the, the, the wealth of this world. Amen? And then he goes on and he starts elaborating this. He says, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? You know, you can't worry yourself taller. You can't worry. Worry is one of the most destructive things on earth and you need to stop. Worry is sin. You know, it's the less popular sin to talk about. But like, if you are, if you are in a state of worry, you're sinning. You're not trusting the Lord. And I know that, will make you, that could wig you out more. <laughs> ah, I'm worrying. I'm trying to stop worrying. But, but get the scriptures in you. Can you get an amen? Last night I could not sleep. I was up at 2 o'clock in the morning. I had a crazy dream. I was up at 2. I couldn't go to sleep. I was up until like 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, God, I need to go to sleep. And I couldn't sleep. And then finally I laid in bed. And then, and then when I'm up like that, my mind's like. And I don't know. And I'm just. And so finally it was like, wait a minute. I need to just take the scriptures. And start thinking about them. And that's what I did. I just started meditating on the scriptures. The pathway of the righteous, there is life and there is no death. The righteousness of God, the work of the righteousness of God produces peace. And just all these scriptures, and I started just, instead of, and I wasn't worrying at the time, my mind was just racing. But like, rather than worrying, I started thinking about the goodness and faithfulness of God. And started discerning the goodness that He placed in me. And then my heart actually started getting full. And then I went back to sleep. How I many know you choose what you think about? And you don't have to worry. Worry is a choice. Now, it may have been a habit that you've developed really well, but you don't have to do it. And there's nothing godly or holy about it. You know, we get our idea, I'm a mama, i got to worry. No, you don't. No, you don't. Worrying is not good, folks. It's, there's nothing healthy about it. Because when you're worrying, you're trusting yourself. Amen. How do you get out of worry? Think on the scriptures. Think on what the Lord has said. Can I get an amen? amen. And it says, so it says, so which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Why do you so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yeah, I say to you that even Solomon, all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is shown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? And what he's addressing there is, is their sense of their own value. He's like, look, man, I, I put clothes on grass. I take care of birds. You're more valuable than birds or grass. And so when he's addressing their faith, he's actually addressing their own sense of their own self-worth. Everybody tracking me here? He says, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek after, the unbelievers seek after. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Everybody say His righteousness. See, when I'm talking about His righteousness, I'm talking about your value. Everybody tracking me here? So not only is you changing your self-image going to have impact on the way you live, the way you talk, and your confidence, it's also going to have impact on your finances. 
Because when you stop worshiping money and looking at money as if it's your God or your supply, and I know those are strong words, or if it is what actually sets your value, and you start to have your value in Jesus Christ, it says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. See, God's not saying these things aren't important. He's just saying they're not the most important. He's saying, you seek me and my sense of value for you, and this stuff will follow you. See, we used to go to church, and we talked about money all the time. Like every service, money, 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 money. Give, 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 give. Money, 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 money. We hardly ever talk about money in this church, right? Because how many of there are more important things to talk about than money? But I have found that as I seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, the Lord takes care of me in my house and, and, and takes care of the church. And because it's not this, it's, it's an issue of value. God wants to reveal to you your value. Can I get an amen? All right, last place. We've got five minutes and we close. When, so, don't worry. Amen? Seek Jesus. Seek to know who you are in Christ. Amen? But the final thing that this sense of self-worth does for you, and we've, we, we've touched it throughout all these messages, but I just want to close on it is when you start to understand your own sense of self-worth and your own sense of value, it's going to cause you to value other people. And now you're going to know how to treat people. And, and, and I'm talking about treating people that are different than you. Treating people that believe different than you. Treat people who are anti-Christ and anti-God. We have to know how to treat people. I think that's a big part of our call. How I many you know we're supposed to treat people different? Our Christianity is not supposed to just be defined by our t-shirt and the music we listen to. How I many you know it's the way we act? It's the way we walk. It's the way we live. And when we don't know our own value, see, that's why people slander. That's why people gossip. That's why Jerry Springer is so popular. For real. Because you get on there and you see how crazy these people are and then it makes you feel better about your own crazy. And I, and, and, and I understand that. But at the same time, and that's, how many of you know, that's the reason that people gossip about people? They talk bad about other people so they can feel better about themselves. See, the Bible says if you want to live long, don't let your tongue speak guile. Don't let your speak no evil of anybody. And when we start to discern people's value and people's worth, we'll actually start to treat people properly. How many, everybody, how many of you know that's the love walk? Because what we have to realize is Jesus identifies with all of humanity. I'll read it to you. Matthew 25, Jesus talking about the kingdom, verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate for one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For when I was hungry, <clears throat> you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you took me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, now the righteous are the people that are born again. Like you don't, you get saved by faith in Jesus Christ. The righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, surely I say unto you, Inasmuch as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. How I many you know it's important to Jesus how you treat people? And, and he says, when you did it to the least, you've done it to me. So what if from this moment on, for the rest of your life, everybody you came into contact with, whether they were in church or in Starbucks or in Walmart or wherever, you treated them like you would treat Jesus? 
How many of you know that is going to change your behavior? But Jesus here identifies with the least. Do you see how that brings value to a human being and allows you to value them and treat them differently? And see, when we can love like that, how many know we're going to be more effective at bringing people to Jesus? When people see the way that we treat each other, when people see the way that we treat them, people, people want to know how you treat them. See, I, 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 you know, people don't look at me and think I'm a pastor, you know. And so a lot of times I'll have this time period where people don't know I'm a pastor. And so I get to just be good to them. And then, then they find out I'm a pastor. And, and so, but they've seen the way I walk, they've seen the way I live, and it's opened a doorway into their heart because I, I'm treating them with respect. I'm treating them with honor. I'm treating them with dignity because that's the way God wants us to treat people. And, and I think that we, we, we fall short when we start thinking that we just have to treat the good people well or the Christian people well or the people who, or whatever. No, man, if we're going to reach some of these people, we've got to treat them the way Jesus would treat them. And, and we, we don't change them by attacking them. We just don't. They need to be loved. Now listen, just because you're loving somebody does not mean you're agreeing with their behavior. Think about it for a moment. When, 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 the, when, the, when the prodigal son came home to the father, how many of you know the father lavished him with kisses? Immediately put affection on him. How many of you know the father did not agree with his behavior? He never agreed with his behavior. How many of you know the kid didn't agree with his own behavior? He knew what he was doing was wrong. But... So by you loving somebody and giving them value and self-worth and respect does not mean you're giving them a stamp on their sin. It just means that you're treating them the way the Lord would treat them. And the time will come when they, if they get born again, they're not going to get born again unless they see that you care about them. Everybody tracking me here? And the time will come where God will address their behavior. And it may not come in the time period that you want it in. Love is not about behavior. It's just not about behavior. Love has nothing to do with behavior. Love is that God saw value in everybody on earth. And He sought to bring the dead into life. And He wants that same mind in the body of Christ. See, the enemy loves to get us mad and redneck and fighting against people. Sorry, I looked at you, Tim, when I said that. Sorry. Sorry. Amen. But like, he, the enemy likes to play both sides. Because how many you know when the Christians, all they want to do is fight and argue with these people? These people just entrench down. I used to be an atheist. And I used to love to make the Christians mad. Like I did. Like that was like my thing. Let's, let's piss off the Christians, man. Let's get them mad. Let's make them mad enough to cuss. You know, and, and I'm just over here just like poking every button I can, having the time of my life. But if someone would have, as long as they were mad at me, it just, it just trenched me in, these people are idiots. But if somebody would have just loved me and hugged me, it would have been a whole lot harder for me to fight. Because love disarms you, man. And thank God I met enough Christians who kind of loved me where I was at. But I, I say all of that and I'm closing, but like this course of God bringing a sense of value to you, it doesn't just come to you, it's intended to go through you. And God wants to teach us how to treat sinners and how to love them. And man, God's really been doing a work in my life in this area because there's certain groups of people that I just didn't like and I didn't want to be around. And, and, and I thought their lifestyle was disgusting. And, um, and I really, just all those things. And the Lord was like, I love that person. Like, and I need to love that person through you. 
So you're going to have to like grow up a little bit here and, ju- and start seeing them the way I see them. And now I get around some of these folks and I don't, I'm not disgusted anymore. I feel sorry for them. And, um, and now the love of God is flowing through me to them. Y'all tracking me here? Because the way God changes the world is He infiltrates darkness with light. Amen? So the course of this self-worth it's a restoration on the inside of you. And here's the thing. When you, start giving va- when you start giving value and self-worth to other people, it will also help you to maintain your own self-worth and value. If you spend your days in slander and gossip, don't think that throwing that stuff isn't going to get off on your own heart. Because the judgment you pour out will be judged back to you again. So we, we not only... Is it going to help your self-worth and your self-image and your value by loving other people? Uh, not only is it going to help them, but it's going to help you too. Can I get an amen? How I many know oh, you're the salt, you're the light? Amen? Amen. Praise God. Well, we're done. We're done. I'm trying to decide whether we're going to do a meditative time or not. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, I think we will. Can we, uh, can we, we'll, we'll shut the broadcast off. God bless you guys. Thank you guys that are watching. We're just going to take just a few moments here in closing, just like maybe five, six minutes.